This is the Last Minute Blues Podcast with Donnie Fandango, Jeff Burton, Alex Ferrario, and former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. It is the Last Minute Blues Podcast. Jamie Rivers, Jeff Burton, it's Donnie Fandango joining me in the Point Studio. Alex Ferrario from 101 ESPN also handling your pre- and uh, post-Blues game uh, information. And also from The Athletic, uh, Mr. Jeremy Rutherford. Gentlemen, hello and happy Halloween to you both. JR dressed up like a uh, beat writer for the Blues today. <laughs> for Halloween, Halloween. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm uh, going to do something with uh, Brooke after this. So, oh, uh, look at you. So double duty in it, huh? Yeah. Oh, so you had to dress up for the camera part of things. Yeah, and look like a reporter. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, Jared's in probably like a Speedo, is the tank top, <laughs> you know, those tank tops with the bikini on. Dude, if I know that my interview is being recorded on video, I spend an inordinate amount of time looking through T-shirts to find the right T-shirt. Really? <laughs> it is the most asinine thing in which that I do. There's no reason why there's a, a, a huge difference to anyone, whether I pick a ghost T-shirt or a Buffalo <laughs> Bills T-shirt or whatever the case may be, but I overthink the bejesus out of it. Are you one of those guys that just has, like, 300 t-shirts because the neighbor next door and they've all got a message they've all got something funny i love when he comes out in the backyard and i look at his t-shirts you got a message on a lot of yours uh, well first of all uh yes and no uh one i love t-shirts but two the idea of having inspirational or funny messages on them makes me want to throw up oh, okay. that that to me just sounds like uh like a, a like a a one-up clever party that i would just never that i would just never love and, and it remind I, I just no no so mine are all like mostly band t-shirts Shirts, but then you know, man, all my teams and things like that. Uh, but mostly, mostly band, I think, is where it goes. If I go see a band and I love them on stage, the chances of me walking out with a T-shirt are exceptionally, exceptionally high. If my wife is not there with me, it is <laughs> even higher. <laughs> yes, it is even higher. Yeah, see, you do the T-shirt thing. I do the beard thing. When I got to do like something in front of camera, I'll sit there and I'll be like, okay, I got to make sure the beard's as trim as possible. And then you mess up the one side of it, and then it's like, all right, well now I got to slim them down. Next thing you know, I got a bald face. <laughs> and my wife's like, why'd you shave your face? And be like, well, because I tried to do this and it didn't work. Next thing you know, no beard. That's how this works. Should have went to the barber school, dude. That that's how that works on the under, like the under part of my beard. Like I just, I never oh, can you ever do had it, right. it where it's the jagged line oh. where you try and get it on your jawline. But then it's like down here, and then it's up here. Yeah. I I probably do that all the time. <laughs> probably I probably do so that all the time. So you do the t-shirt, he does the beard. I do the treadmill for about ten minutes. <laughs> this will help. This will help. This will make it look help. good. <laughs> it's actually like, uh, and also too, it's actually winter time now, or at least it feels this way. Yeah. And I like completely love this. This is in my my full on like hockey football. You know, I wish I could care more about the World Series that's going on right now. Because I feel like it's something that I should care about. It's going on right now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there we go. When you have Arizona and Texas in it, it's not the uh, pull you'd think you'd get in a World Series. But you know what, though? All right, so I was thinking about this. If this were the Yankees and the Dodgers, we would all be complaining that it's the Yankees and the Dodgers, and then we're tired of seeing the Yankees and the Dodgers. <laughs> but then we finally get two teams that have not that have not sniffed it in forever, and then it's, oh, these are these are teams that we don't care Hold about. Hold on, you're saying we complain and that's all we do? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I feel that way kind of too, though, because I'm just like, man, you know, outside of Adolis Garcia, you know, there's not really like a huge Cardinal connection here for me to anything to kind of draw me in. 
And just watching that guy absolutely rake just makes me go, what? what? And Tyler O'Neill is still here? Like, you know, those kinds of things. But it's just, I'm just full-on hockey football weather right now. Like, it is absolutely It makes sense perfect. once you hit the season. And you're a Buffalo Bills fan. This is like, this is summertime to you guys. Yeah, yeah. I got a, I got a big decision to make on Sunday night. And, uh, and, and I, I don't. I'm not sure I know what I should do, but I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I have tickets to see Metallica Sunday oh, night wow. at the Dome. Wow. Um, that's the second night of their no-repeat weekend. Yeah. Um, but the Bills are on Sunday night football against the Bengals. Wow. That is a tough call. I'm I'm waiting to hear the answer here. That's when you uh, put your phone on the person in front of you, <laughs> and you just kind of like slightly tilt it on their head so you can just sit it there and say, Sir, please don't move. Okay, well, here's the thing. I'm already going to the show on Friday because oh, okay. they're doing Friday and Sunday. So I'm already going on Friday. The no repeat show. Correct. So, so, yes. So, you know, either way you go, yeah. you're not going to see a repeat of a song. Yeah, one way. But, uh, and, and I don't, and, and here's, the, here's even the kicker on top of this. I don't feel good about the game on Sunday night. I think the Bengals and the Bills might be sort of going in different directions. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think Joe Burrow yeah, is. Yeah, Bengals are going up. Bills. Dude, uh... dude, Joe Burrow is feeling it. And you can tell. Yeah. All right. So I'm a little, I'm a little, but I don't know. <laughs> Favorite Metallica song? Oh, that's really tough. Yeah. Uh, Harvester of Sorrow is wow. one that I like quite a bit. But like, I had the chance, I've seen them before. All right. So a bunch of years ago, Tommy the Boss and I were in Austin, Texas for the ACL Music Festival, and Metallica was one of the headliners that year. So um, we have a friend that is in the man that works for management for Metallica that always really takes great care of us. So right before um, we're supposed to walk over and go watch Metallica, he gives us passes for this thing called the Snake Pit. Oh. Now, the Snake Pit is a diamond-shaped area that is literally right in front of the stage with the walkways that the band walks around kind of around it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So he gives us passes for this Snake Pit thing to see Metallica. And it was one of the greatest things that I have ever experienced well, in my yeah. entire life. Because not only is it Metallica and you think, oh, that's great in all these songs. But here's what you're what what I'm really thinking about as I'm watching this. One, all of these guys are over 50. Okay. There is not a backing track anywhere in the freaking vicinity of what these guys are doing. Every single sound is coming from those four dudes. And when you are watching them it is legitimately, man, I, I, honestly, I think it's like watching Alex Ovechkin or, or or anybody in sports, man. You are watching guys do something at an incredibly high level that theoretically, because of how they've treated their bodies in the past, all of these things, they should not sound and be as good as they are. <laughs> but holy Mary, mother of Pete, they, I mean, it's like they have defined time. So, like, I just took turns, like, watching everyone. Lars playing the drums. Kirk playing guitar, and he always has a badass, like, Halloween-themed guitar. Like, when I saw him, it was the old Frankenstein and the old mummy that he would oh, that wow. he would use. And then their bass player, Robert Trillo, is just this, like, just this little, like, pocket fire of energy. And he's amazing to watch. And then James Hetfield, the lead singer, I mean, it's Papa Het, and he still sounds great, and he's still shredding on guitar. So you're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. It, it's just, it's just it, you know, man, like... They are just the deal. I, 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 they're not one of my favorite bands of all time, but I have so much respect for the fact that they're still here, still doing it. They just released a new album a couple or like a month ago, and it's 
awesome. Like, not just like, oh, hey, another, you know, this Heritage Band released another album. We have to pretend to care. Like, they're making good records still. Yeah. And so that's just all kind of like super exciting to me. Sounds yeah. just like Nickelback for me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but you know what, though, man? I don't like it when people like, uh, when people trash on like the Nickelback, Imagine Dragons, Coldplay. You know, there always is a band that people are always oh, yeah. crapping on at that particular time. And I feel like that's just such a drag, man. Because like, what has Nickelback done wrong? Not a goddamn thing other than be really goddamn good yeah, at what other they than do. I actually hate the fact that they pump out good songs. And then you get, well, I think it's the Canadian side of it because, like, they're the Canadian band. And then you get Connor McDavid after the Heritage game being like, Nickelback, it's the greatest band ever. And then all of the trolls come out like, Nickelback, the best band ever. It's like nobody can say anything about that and then it turned the right way. But I liked it when Connor McDavid said it. But, but dudes, like, but also, too, all right, so, like, Nickelback is legitimately the 2000s equivalent to Journey mm -hmm. or Boston or any of those really great, for lack of a better term, corporate rock bands, man. Yeah. Like, they just do what they do super well. And then on top of it, all right, I have never heard, and I mean, and I'm never one bad word about Chad Kroger from Nickelback. No. I have heard that he is an amazingly sweet guy. All of my radio friends have said nothing but great things about him. All of my record friends have said nothing but great things about him. And the record people are the ones that see them behind closed they doors. They see the true colors. So they see the true colors, Jared Leto. <laughs> and so, like, so, so, like, it is just so remarkable to me. So, yeah, man, I end up sticking up for, like, Nickelback. I like that. Even though, like, I don't even know that I... I mean, I know Leader of Men, that was a really great song, but I don't know any of the, like, super newer Nickelback stuff. Like, yeah. it doesn't do it for me, no. but I'll still defend it. Alex, look how fired up he is, and we haven't even talked about the Vancouver game yet. I was saying, that was, <laughs> that's because you didn't watch the Vancouver yeah, game. Yeah, no, no, no. He was, was at the movie theater. I texted him after that, and I said, Donnie, remember how you said you were worried about seeing this movie because you didn't know anything or you didn't know if you'd like it? I said, well, good thing you saw that movie because I don't know what the hell I just watched with that Blues game. <laughs> a scary movie yeah, we watched. It was you know, a horror film. You know what I want to ask you guys, and I've been thinking about this since, since Friday, seeing that score and stuff is that the Blues win a game, and then the next game, not only do they lose, but they absolutely lay an egg. Like, it's almost as though, like, it's just almost like the bottom drops out, and, it, and they can't just play, like, kind of a poor game. They just kind of all the way, like, bottom it out, and it just seems like it is very much one way or the other. I think it's the most drastic turn of play that I've seen in 20 years of covering the Blues Wow! from one game to the next. Wow. And, and you know, there have been some two-game stretches over the years where you're like, wow, is that the same team the other night? Nothing like what we saw the other night, Calgary, Vancouver. Now, keep this in mind. Calgary's a bad team. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. When you're in the position that we are, Alex, sometimes you feel like you can't discredit the Blues when they play as well as they did in right. the Calgary game because you're taking something away from them, even if Calgary is a bad team, right? So you give them the credit. They played well. They deserve that win. If it's a bad team, you still got to play you know, the game, and, and, they, and they played well. But then you go to Vancouver, and you're thinking, Donnie, we said it. We said, Vancouver, tough place to play, good team. Alex said they're fast. We said uh, end of a road trip, Western Canada. You know, this is going to be tough, but to come out and get, get out shot, what, 19? to three in the first period and, and there's it just doesn't look like it's there and I do think that we're going to see efforts like that this year I think you know the system 
Uh, I think sometimes this team is going to go into a lot of games with not as much skill as the other team, and when it's not going their way, things are going to fall apart. But to see the way they played against Calgary and have it fall off was incredible. That, that's the concern for me, and I know Doug Armstrong talked about it coming into the season of focusing on the attitude of this team and making sure it's the right group of players that have the attitude to take this team into the new era of Blues hockey. But if you think about it, the only loss that was a good loss this season was the Dallas Stars game. And that was the first game of the season. You took a week to prepare for it. You had all those practices, and you put your best on the ice. But then, then you play your a good game against the Seattle Kraken, but Bennington steals that one for you. Then you lay the egg against the Arizona Coyotes. Then you play a good game against Pittsburgh, and you lay the egg against Winnipeg. You play a really good game against Calgary, and you lay an egg against Vancouver. Like, there's no loss that's like the Dallas Stars. And, JR, you talked about trends last week. The trend that I'm starting to see is the inconsistent play. And you can fix that. Like, look, it's it's focusing. I, I think I read a piece earlier today that talked about, you know, coaches preach like 20 games into the season – don't worry about the first 20 games. They break it up into increments, and they said 20 games, first 20 games are going to be all over the place. We'll get it figured out. So you can get it figured out, but he's right, Donnie. Like, I, I, I sit here and I look at that Calgary win and I look at that Pittsburgh win, I'm like, man, this is what that team could look like. But I also have to take into consideration that Pittsburgh team, they're a slower team. Calgary, they're a team right now that really identifies like you did last year. But when you take these fast teams that know who they are and they know what the identity is, Winnipeg, Arizona, Vancouver, man, they're having their way with you, and that's a, that's a scary thing to have on the ice. Well, and also, too, with uh, Colorado staring at you in the face tomorrow. That's got to <laughs> make you feel just, real great. And but, not just Colorado, New Jersey, Montreal, Arizona, Winnipeg, like Tampa, Colorado again. Yeah, yeah. but guys are due for a win. Win-loss, win-loss. <laughs> right. it's, it's a winning Colorado. It's like the San Francisco Giants in the World Series. But, but like, how... How did... Why? What is going on there <laughs> yes. that is allowing? Yeah, sorry about that, but like, it just the inconsistency there. I mean, that is something that I mean. I feel like if that continues throughout the course of the year, that is going to be something that could be very troublesome for people trying to keep jobs. Yeah, for sure. And and we asked Craig Bruby that specific question. So what you're going nuts over here about? Yeah. You know, what, how, why, how? <laughs> we asked Craig Bruby, and and he said, guys, we just need to keep preaching it in practice and and in games. And we said, yeah, but where's the issue? Where is it coming from? And he said, good question. I don't know. That's something that the coaching staff is still trying to figure out now. I agree with uh, a couple things. One thing is you, you got to look at uh, the teams that they're playing. Like there's going to be situations where uh, you go into a Calgary and you should beat them, right? So you're going to okay, maybe the Blues got something here. And then they go into Vancouver. Alex, you, I mean, you brought it up last week. I think the speed is going to kill this team. Mm -hmm. and, and I think where this goes is, you know, I always thought that when the Jordan Kairos and the Robert Thomases were coming up, oh, t this team's going to get faster. They're going to get better in transition. They're going to make the plays that we're seeing in the other games around the NHL. You know, you're moving on from a Ryan O'Reilly. You know, this is a different style of team. But now you go to the retool and where do you find those guys? A on the cheap, B who are willing to come here for a retool. You know, the guys that Doug Armstrong is kind of forced to go out and get are the Kapanins, the uh, the Hayes, uh, Vrana. The discounted now, players. Yeah, discounted players. Now, don't get me wrong. Kapanin can skate. You know, Vrana can skate. These guys can skate. But it's not that type of 2023 team. You look around the league, you know, that that's where the league's going. When I watch the Blues, my number one thought is they're slow. Yeah. Well, and the hard part for me is, like, I, I look at a team where they need offense – 
but the top six feels like it's just disconnected. Like Thomas and Cairo were playing together, but you really weren't getting that offense. There was Booch for a while, and then he got injured. Saad moved up there, and it was fine, but it wasn't where they wanted it. So that line's disconnected. Then you go with Shen Kapanen and whomever was playing on that one. It was Saad for a little bit there. That never felt like it clicked to the way they wanted it. Like, you knew what they were trying to do with those four lines. All of them had an identity that Craig Burby wanted to utilize. But the chemistry just feels off. And, and you know, the, the easy excuse would be, oh, well, these other teams had top five, top three, number one overall picks. That's true, but, like, Vancouver was playing Di Giuseppe on a top line with Pedersen, and that line got offense against you. Like, they had JT Miller playing with, I forgot who it was, it was Kuzmenko. Like, those aren't guys that were selected first overall. Those are guys that just have created line chemistry, and right now, we're seeing it. They switched the lines up already, where Thomas and Kairou are now split up, and you've got Thomas and Booch and Kairou and Shen. It feels like you've got a top six that you're really trying to work in, but you've got guys that don't know if they're going to be here and the Kapanen and the Veranas. you got guys that are trying to figure out how they mesh. It just feels like the line chemistry is looking at it like, how are we supposed to work together on the ice? All right. Well, okay. All right. <clears throat> All of this being said, and as I'm sitting here right now, I'm going to say the most master of the obvious thing that I could possibly say right now. <laughs> it's early. And that is... Jeremy, you're good looking. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Nailed well, that, it. That, I think, goes without saying. <laughs> but, like, I mean, we're starting to see... What we kind of thought that the team was going to be, we we kind, I mean, th- we've all thought, hey, we hope playoffs, but we don't know. There's inconsistencies left, right, and the other. One, it's still early. They've still got time to figure it out. But if they don't, I think that isn't that just. I mean, it's kind of a rebuilding team. Yeah, you know I what think, I mean, Donnie. I think we touched on it last week when we said we thought that a lot of people out there are evaluating this team on a contender basis, yeah. and then they're not that. So I think we need to recalibrate, and also I think we need to pay attention to Doug Armstrong, who's been fairly honest over the years with uh, how he views things. And what did he say? I'd like to finish third. Like, how many times do you hear somebody come out and say something like that? Yeah. Well, I think what he's doing there, guys, is he's saying, okay, look, we you know we know we're not as good as Dallas, Colorado, which is obvious to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. So his ceiling is third place, but you know how many teams often reach their ceiling? He's kind of saying we're in that muddy mix mm-hmm. of, of teams. So a lot of people criticize the Cardinals for not being as upfront and honest. I think Doug Armstrong uh, does that, and I think you know when I say that we need to evaluate the team as a team that's in the retool. I'm not trying to lower expectations or let people off the hook. Look, if this team doesn't perform, you know, people will lose their jobs. People will get traded. Uh, so that is not to let anybody off the hook. It's just reality. Yeah. You just have to turn on the TV and watch the game and say, okay, this team is not as good as 12 to 13 teams in the league. You know, they might be in that 13 to 20 on some nights, but they're they're not that team. Well, because it's for me, man, and I don't know, I do this with the Bills a lot, where I like where I'm trying to like sort of balance my expectations. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like before I turn on the TV tomorrow night to see the Colorado Avalanche in the blues, I realize where things might be and where things might go. And if the blues play well and they don't go there. Oh, I love it. Right. But if not, then I, you know what I mean? That I'm not chucking shoes at my TV. Right. And then nobody needs that. So I, I just, I'm, it just feels as though, like what we've been saying, it's big time transition. It's still early in the year. There's a lot of stuff to get figured out. One of those things that I'm incredibly curious about is how this defensive group shakes out. You know what I'm saying? Is, is, 
how do you guys how do what do you guys look at as the best six for the Blues to put out there every night? I like that they put Marco Scandella back with Colton Pareko. Not that I don't think Letty has played well with Pareko because I mean they've got the top assignments a lot of these games and they've come out looking good. I just I. I feel like Colton Pareko is that offensive mobile defenseman, not in the sense of like he's going to put up 100 points, but he gets in on the offense. That's his style. You, you need somebody who can stay home and allow Pareko to do that. Like Jay Bolmeister was a lot like that with Colton Pareko, and Nick Letty likes to jump up in the rush also. So I like that pair. The other four, I mean, Justin Falk is a part of that. To me, you can take your pick of Tyler Tucker or Robert Bortuzzo. Right now, I think it's Scott Perunovich and Tori Krug. And again, no disrespect to Nick Letty. I think Nick Letty has played well, but I think you need more offense. And Nick Letty provides some of it, but Tori Krug and Scott Perunovich are the offensive-minded defensemen. So if I'm looking at my top six of what I'd want to see, and they kind of did this where they put Letty with Tucker and they put Perunovich with Bortuzzo. To me, that's saying you've got two different third pairs right now and Krug and Falk will stay together. Right now, I would like to see a little bit of Scott Perunovich. Get him out there on that number one, number two power play unit. Put him in the ideal situation where he can try and spark some offense because otherwise, you're not providing anything on the bench or as that seventh or eighth defenseman. The way that I look at the Blues defensive situation is this. Because of the contract situation, because of guys need waivers, uh, you know, so you can't send them down, or you'll lose them. Right. You're forced with the eight, right? Okay, so it is what it is. Now you're dealing with these eight defensemen, and we need to get them some playing time. So, you know, if if it if it's a team like a Colorado, and it's going to be a fast-paced game, and maybe the power play is struggling, you get a Scott Prunovich in there. If you're going against a harder team, a physical team, maybe a team that's good on power play, you want some penalty kill guys in there, okay, Scandella, Bortuzzo, whoever you think you need. But to me, you know, we could talk till we're blue in the face about a all the personnel, who's playing, who's playing with who. But I step back and I look at the big picture and I say, okay, this team's probably not a playoff team. Right. At the end of the year, don't you want the guys who are going to be here to have played as many games as possible and get as much experience? So, you know, Marco Scandella, hey, it's great. He's playing in the top pair. Maybe that gives the Blues a chance to, to win, you know, two out of their next three games. But at the end of the year, they're cleaning out their lockers. The season's over. Scandella's on a taxi out of here. He's going to sign somewhere else as a free agent. Are you looking over at Scott Perinovich and saying, gosh, you know, glad to get you 20 games? Yeah. No, you're glad to get him 50 That's games, 55 games. To me, it's big picture. So yeah. you're – yes. So essentially – yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know why I was thinking of the Cardinals in in my head and trying to get at bats for people well, and playing time yeah. for people in the outfield, that sort of thing. Um, but you're absolutely right. You, I mean, everything. If this is indeed transition, which is what we've been told, and it is, then you want to be transitioning and doing what's best right. to make that base for next year better. Yeah, you would think so, and maybe they're going to do that at some point. Maybe they're just throwing out who they think their best lineup is every night for the first 30, 40 games, and if they look pretty good, this is coming together, this team works hard, the system's working well, then maybe they go that route, and then maybe if it isn't, then they say, okay, now's the time to start playing these other guys. Yeah, well, and that's kind of where I'm at with it, too, where you start it where you feel like you can compete and be in that top of the middle tier, but then as soon as that starts to feel like it might not be happening, that's when that 
transition begins to where you're putting these guys into position to succeed. Like we saw in that Vancouver Canucks game, when it started to get ugly, man, they had Scott Pernovich skating up there with Colton Pareko. I think they did that in the Calgary Flames game as well. It sure seems like they did it four times, I think, in preseason. It seems like they want Perunovic Pareko to work at some point, but the question is, when do you really start to hammer that home if that's what you want? Because the whole preseason, the whole training camp, all we heard is, well, Pernovich and Kruger are the same player, and you can't have those two guys in the lineup and have Nick Letty in the lineup. You need Marco Scandell in the lineup, and it's like, all right, well, you got a lot of the same guys that are always going to be here because of the contract, so how are you going to make this work moving forward? Boy, oh, boy. Decisions to be made. I know, right? And I mean, I, I, I th- but again, though, I think to, to not get too far down in this or to not get too far down in general, as this season goes on, there is a nucleus here that is fan-freaking-tastic. And there is obviously some things that have to be worked out, but I just don't want us to get too, like, you know what I mean? Like, this is not a bottom-of-the-basement terrible situation. It's just transition, and it's just weird, and it's just probably going to be that way for a bit. Yeah, and the thing is that Blues fans haven't had to endure it in years and years and years. <laughs> I mean, I wrote the story about Doug Armstrong and a decade plus of sustained success. Yeah. Try saying that. <laughs> and, and, and and it's you, you just don't see this. Like uh, So you're right. When you look at the Dalibor Dvorskis, the Zach Deans, you know, perhaps a, a Jimmy Snuggerud, some of these guys coming in, I just feel like, and this isn't, again, to look at these next two years as, hey, whatever they do, they do. But I'm just saying that, let's say a couple years down the road, hey, things are shaping up pretty good. This is a good-looking team with good good young players. Oh, my gosh, remember those past couple years when we had to go? That's just what it is. Right. Yeah. You have to go through it. And and you look at L.A., they're tearing things yeah. up right now. They went through that. You, yeah. It's part of the process of running a franchise. Well, the team that you just got beat by, Vancouver, they went through that for a couple of years where it was bad. And, I mean, it was bad to the point you're drafting Elias Pettersson early on in the draft. You're drop, drafting Brock Besser, Quinn Hughes. Like, th- that's let me, got, let me ask you guys that question then because that's the part that – confuses me like we feel it's that retool to where Doug Armstrong laid it out where he said like it looks like a a three-year thing kind of like an LA Kings ordeal do you have to be bottom 10 in those three years to get that retool expedited or if you're bottom 10 in two or three of those years is it just a rebuild that's the part that I'm trying to juggle with right now like you watch this team right now and you say okay if this is the retool then you hope that you know this is kind of that muddy middle the next year you see progress then the next year you're talking about a team that's competing for one of the top three spots in the division but if you're bad this year again does that become a rebuild and is it less of a retool yeah i mean i think i think if if you have a year this year like you had last year it definitely goes into quote unquote a rebuild mode now whether that's two years three years four years what have you i still think those names that i just mentioned of the prospects that are on the way you know are going to come help the situation now you can't think that they're going to get here in two years and they're going to be great as rookies so it's going to take some time uh but yeah i guess to answer your question you don't want this thing to be Five, right. six years. Because then we're looking at a whole well, new different... And if you go back-to-back bad years, then you get into the winning culture conversation. And this is something that Joey's talked about on the broadcast before. He talked about Montreal so many years of being bad over and over. And then you bring in Marty St. Louis and you have these young players. But he says that's why you need players around like Jake Allen. That's why you need certain guys in your organization that can keep that winning culture in place. 
you have those guys and Braden Shen, Colton Pareko, Jordan Bennington, but just as much as they were a part of that winning culture, are you concerned that they're a part of this culture, this murky middle where you're so inconsistent that you could bring these young guys into the right system? You know, I uh, I know that this has been talked about before, so I know that this is not new, but I always go back and look um, and watch the postgame uh, comments from the coaches and from the players. And so uh, after the movie on Friday night and the game was over and stuff, I went back and I watched the stuff that the Blues sent to us. And and I very much – I don't know the best way to say this. Let's <laughs> let it out, Donnie. I don't think that they should let Colton Pareko in front of a microphone after a loss. All right? I, I, I Listen, and they, I – I like Colton Pareko. I am not a Colton Pareko hater, but they just got housed four or five to nothing. And you would just have think that, that that they just eked out a two to one loss or something like that. And I know that just listen, everybody's personality is different. If I lost a game in the NHL, I would probably look like the world was going to end every single night, which would get exhausting. And I know you have to figure out a balance of a way, but just that dude's personality when a team is struggling is not one you want to put on TV. With the smile. Oh, gosh. (laughs) And he's just so like, like just his person. I know that it matters to him. Obviously. I'm not saying that or trying to infer that at all. It's just the dude's personality. It's just that where it's just kind of like, Like, I don't know. I was just like, dude, you don't look mad at all, and you just got your ass handed to you. The other side of it is Alexei Torovchenko calling his team a beer league team. So you get one or the other. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Which I don't think he's done a post game. No, I don't think he has. I think every time somebody asks, it's like, meh. But Alex, you can probably speak to this. (laughs) You can probably speak to this, too. So I totally understand what you're saying, uh, Donnie. And Colton Pareko, you know, 20 years covering the team might be the nicest guy. Like, it's it's amazing. Uh, Craig Bruby doesn't say, you know, you know, I'd let that guy marry my daughter, you know, for nothing. So <laughs> right. I, I think that's what's going on there. But also over the years, just to give some context, I just think it's changed. Like you used to interview a Doug Waite, a Keith Kachuk, a Dallas Drake, and you could see it on their face. And, and they would tell you how it was, like what they're feeling. I think two things with today's athlete. One, social media, they know that as soon as they say something, yep. reporter turns around, tweets it. 140 characters could be out of context. I'll never forget, you know, quick Colton Preco story. You know, ironically, it was him. Is uh, somebody said, "Hey, you signed the new contract. What are you going to buy a Porsche?" And he he was totally joking around. And he said, "No, not something. You know, that crummy. I'm going to go out and get a nice car or something like that." And somebody tweeted it, and then it got blown out of proportion that he was a crap dude. And welcome to why players don't like talking yeah. with us. So, yeah. so, so as you know, I didn't tell you anything you don't already know. But uh, social media plays a big factor. But Two, they're, they're, they're robotic. You know, they come out and they kind of feed you the answers that you're expected mm-hmm. uh, to hear. But another thing that I think I learned this from uh, Paul Stastny when he was here with the Blues is they try to do a good job of just moving on, parking it. And so I'm not saying what Colton Preco is, is doing is the right thing there or whoever comes out and, and tells you that was a great game against Vancouver, you know, that. Yeah. But yeah, I think they're conditioned to park it and move on to the next game. And there's got to be some of that, too. I, I don't totally get that. Well, and the problem with it, too, is if you do, because the one that comes to mind is uh, Jacob Truba with the New York Rangers last year. It was a game where the Rangers got absolutely obliterated on the ice. And Truba was very vocal in the locker room. I mean, rightfully so. He's wearing a letter, but he was saying, like, this is crap. We don't play this way. Our team is better than this. We should have more respect for ourselves in this game. If you say that, and don't come out the next game and back it up, then it looks even worse. Yeah. Whereas if not 
what Colton Pareko did, but if you keep it tempered to like what JR mentioned of like, hey, look, this was a bad game. We're moving on. Braden Chen was a perfect example of this. After what that game against Arizona, yeah. you guys brought up, you actually asked him the question, you know, are you worried that this starts the snowball from last year? And he abruptly said, we're not focused on last year. We're moving on from last year. Like that you can say. And that is the mindset that Craig Berube has always had with this team. It's like, who cares about what just happened? Focus on the next game. But if you are very vocal or very adamant about how that's crap, we can't play that way. If you do it again, well, then now more conversations start up about how, oh, well, the locker room's broken and, oh, well, they need to have team meet. You know, like it just. People it's say a, that stuff? Yeah, not <laughs> at all, right? Closed door meeting, it turns into, oh, my God, they're having meetings one on one with everybody. But it turns into a, a, like a trickle down effect that gets even more and more messed up than what it originally was. I'll be, it's, it, it's very fascinating, too, how. They are just so conscious of every word, and I don't blame them in the slightest. Yeah. I mean, I do not at even in the slightest. I want to bring this up to you guys. Um, you know, one of the teams going into the season that I kind of wondered about uh, whether or not they would be good uh, with the uh, you know with with a couple of players retiring was the Boston Bruins. Yeah. And man, oh man, Jim Montgomery has got those dudes playing, playing, and playing. You lose a couple of players like they did, and they seemingly haven't missed a beat. What? What am I missing here, I think guys? it's because you just had that culture in place of Patrice Burt. Like, Chara left and everybody was saying the same thing. Like, how are they going to survive without Zidane Chara? Well, you still had Patrice Bergeron. You still had David Krejci that were kind of instilling that leadership mentality. That's the benefit of the Boston Bruins. When you have guys who are always there... Not Brad Marchand as the captain, who is essentially just a, a younger version of Patrice Bergeron. You've got David Pasternak, who's been around these guys. You've got, you got uh, Charlie McAvoy. So, like, you, the Boston just have the luck of having these top talented players that just have that same leadership mindset to where, like, hey, if you mess up. forgot who we interviewed. It was... Um, it might have been Carlo Colia. Oh, no, it was David Backus when we talked with him, when he played with Boston. And he said, man, they are so intense in Boston just in terms of the leadership that it's like he remembered one player that wasn't adhering to what the rules were with the roster of being there on time and making sure that you showed up in a suit. I forgot what the specifics were, but essentially said the guy like broke the rules and they had him off the team the next day. He said they don't mess around in Boston. Like there's a culture in place, and if you don't follow it, you're not going to be a part of that roster. Wow. Yeah, there were. I think Backus he might have said it to you guys uh, on the radio, or, or maybe I interviewed him one time where he said that uh, two guys didn't go on the off season. That's what it was. It was the uh, team bo- team bonding trip. Didn't go on the team bonding mm-hmm. trip, and they traded them. Yeah, yeah, they traded. They the traded guys. them away. So Alex nailed it. You know, I know it's cliche, but the culture in Boston is off the charts. Uh, I interviewed Jim Montgomery, who was here as an assistant coach in St. Louis for a couple of years. I interviewed him last year like right towards the end of the regular season you know they had this record-breaking season and he said Patrice Bergeron is the best captain I've ever been around and that's saying something because you had Ryan O'Reilly here in St. Louis but I think it shows what Bergeron does so to answer your question I think that's the situation the players can come and go but what they've created there has been yeah. carried on by the Marchands and those guys, and and then secondly, you got to give Jim Montgomery absolutely a, a ton of credit. Like he's that guy. I remember when I did talk to him, he said, "Jeremy, I don't have to do anything up here. Anything. Like all I do is show up and coach." 
but that's it. Like they take care of everything. Yeah. And I'm not talking about planes, trains. No, I'm yeah. talking about within the locker room. On yeah. The but think about it, take. though. Like the system has been in place with the Boston Bruins. They play the same style that they've always played, where it's the, the four check. You've got the heavy players. You've got defensemen involved in the play. Like it was that way when they had Zidane Chara on it and they were going to the Stanley Cup finals. It was that way in 2019 when the Blues played against them. And it's still the same thing. So Jim Montgomery brings his expertise into that locker room and kind of what he feels like works but the 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 ma- the rough draft is in place for you it's yeah. just filling in the lines and making sure that you're putting the best product that you can out there rough draft now he sounds like a writer <laughs> I stick to broadcasting put my you, suit uh, on guys you see me okay i want to ask you guys one more thing before we get out of here and we talked about him a little bit earlier on in the show um but one of the teams that that to me Feels like they're flying a little bit under the radar as far as being. I I don't I, I don't understand why Los Angeles isn't being mentioned in the same breath as Dallas and Colorado when we're talking about teams in the West that could be Stanley Cup. I, that team is real freaking good. The only part that I'm concerned with them is their goaltending, and it, it's the goaltender that they got from Columbus, correct? It's Corpusalo. No, Corpusalo went. Uh, to the east. Oh, so he went to the yeah. east. So, so who's their goaltender? Yeah. I don't even know who he is. Donnie's going to look it up. That's where my one concern lies with that team. I think the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade, I felt like they gave up a lot, but Pierre-Luc Dubois is a, a good player. You've got Ajay Kopitar and Drew Doughty, so you know you're going to be consistent. They've got young pieces that are kind of coming up, Quinton Byfield, but their goaltending and the face that Donnie making right now tells me why it's goaltending. Cam Talbot. Yeah. That's where my concern lies with that team. If they had Jonathan Quick, although Jonathan Quick of yesteryear is looking like Jonathan Quick of this year with the New York Rangers, if they had some type of goaltender that I'd look at and be like, man, he's going to be tough to get through, they would be in that same conversation. But I I look at Vegas, I look at Vancouver, now watching Thatcher Demko in person. Those are the two tough teams in the Pacific Division. And then I think you've got L.A. and Edmonton kind of coming up behind. Also, I think the bigger answer is this, is that they haven't done it yet. So they're not going to be in that conversation because you look at Colorado, they won a cup a couple years ago. Uh, Vegas, you mentioned, obviously just won the cup, and then also Dallas. I mean, they sh- they showed it last year too. So I, I think they're there, they're getting there. Uh, but you look at what they did. You know, a lot of high draft picks have turned up well. They're putting it together, scoring a ton of goals this season. You know, we just talked about Boston and the culture. Well, LA's got something a little similar, not quite Boston, but yeah. with the Kopitars and those guys, they've really built something there. Uh, but I think it's just because they haven't done it yet. There are times that when, when we, we, you know, when I'm interviewing someone or uh, even on the podcast where uh, I will find out information after I ask a question <laughs> and I will very much regret asking the question in the first place. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and and this Cam Talbot uh, Los uh, Angeles Kings thing is well, that, but an example of that. I didn't even know who it was because I thought it was still was Corpus Allen. And I'm like, well, maybe he's just having a rough start to it. But then when you said Cam Talbot, I'm like, wait a minute. Like, that's their goaltender? But every time I watch their games or I've seen their score of their games, I'm thinking, man, they did good, but they gave up four goals. They gave up three goals. Oh, well, yeah, that makes I was, sense. Uh, I was wondering who it was, too, just because, A, the Blues haven't played them yet, so usually yeah. you know, I kind of get into the mode when you see them, you know who it is. And, and then, two, I mean, let's just be honest here. They're on the West Coast. You just don't <laughs> catch those games it's like regularly. Mike Trout for the Angels. I'm not going to see a whole lot of those. Yeah, man, once that clock hits 10 o'clock, I mean, I am. I'm, you can stay up till 10 o'clock. I'm, th- I'm fading wow. fast, man. I think I made it to 1030 last night. He lays out what T-shirt he's going to wear the next day on the bed. and Hey, dude, gets up. first of all, I do lay my clothes out. 
around. And so uh, that's all right. Second of all, okay, and I'm sorry to do this at the very end of the podcast. I, I'm, I'm so sorry. To, to We've had such a lovely podcast. But um, over the course of recording this, okay, um, I am not a huge fan of adults and Halloween costumes, okay? <laughs> is that who's been walking behind us? It is what it is. Everybody deserves to have a day, whatever, okay? So we're recording this podcast, and there are several people, I'm guessing seven or eight, of our salespeople <laughs> that are dressed up as those, like, wind sock the thingies. The wacky, waving, inflatable, arm flatly tube band. And we're recording, and all of these colored things are going in front of the studio. And I'm thinking to myself, and this is where everybody's going to hate me. I'm thinking to myself, I know that you have better things to do than this right now. I know it. I, I just know it. And so not only is it distracting, it... I've, I've I've trended into the Halloween side as you're an adult like Jim from The Office to where ever they always would dress up in the office and the one year he'd put three little yeah, cut three circles on three hole punch Jim that's right and he'd have a name tag one year and he'd be like who are you supposed to be I'm Paul that's how I do Halloween yeah. now like this year my my wife and I are just putting on Ghostbusters hoodies and we're dressing the girls up as the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man oh. and the Green Goblin from the uh, from the Ghostbusters. That's my Halloween. Let me tell you something, and this is a very true story. I st- <laughs> this is going to say a lot about me, and probably not good. The last in a, the la- and we could call my mom for confirmation. The last <laughs> year that I dressed up for Halloween, I was eight years old. <laughs> really. <laughs> When when I remember my mom wanting to take us trick-or-treating and me going, I don't want to dress up. So I would wear my baseball uniform so that I could get the candy. But I it just has never been my thing. Like, ever, 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 ever. And, like, the idea of, like, like, for Mary and I to go to a couple's party, because this is Mary's day. Like, this is, this whole month is, so this is huge. Opposites attract. Yeah. Man. Oh, my God. For her <laughs> to, like, if we had to go to, like, a Halloween costume, like, thing together, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I would do it because I love her very much, and she's the greatest, and she does stuff for me, including putting up with my my, my life. But, like, I just, it sounds like the most miserable time in the history Donnie, of ever. Can you imagine Donnie maturing faster than everybody else in grade school? It's 10-year-old Donnie, and all the kids are like, hey, Donnie, you want to come over and go trick-or-treat? I don't trick-or-treat anymore, you you hooligans. I sit at home and do work. <laughs> I don't, I, I've always kind of sort of had an older thing about me, and I guess really that really breaks down to just not like to having any fun. I I think that's really what it is. Now's not a good time to tell Donnie I'm going to be a cologne bottle tonight and have a spray bottle spraying at the t- <laughs> Just... <laughs> Dude, but there are, I see people that have great Halloween costumes, great ideas. They look fantastic. And I think to myself, those are fun people. I wish I could be those people, but I'm not those people. So I'm just not. But I tell you what, though. When your kid comes by the house for, uh, for trick-or-treating, uh, legitimately, I'm a handful of... Oh, of candy yeah. in the bag guy. You know what I mean? That's, like, that's a double whammy for yourself. First of all, you get rid of the candy faster so you can enjoy your evening longer. And second, you make the kids happier. Oh, you guys give it out? JR, yeah, JR, <laughs> JR's the, he finds the uh, He finds the bad pieces of candy in his bucket. He's like, here, you can have this one. <laughs> Any more? No. <laughs> Did you guys remember, man, though, when you would like be sorting your candy and you would, you know, you would, you, there would be the the Hershey's and the M and M's and the Skittles, and then there would be that one wax 
piece of candy, oh, like in the yeah. wax paper, and you're like, the lips or whatever it was. Who's the one that does this? <laughs> oh, who, man. Who was the one we that does this? You know heart. what? I don't feel bad for hopping over your backyard fence now. Not even in the slightest. <laughs> I don't feel bad for skinny dipping in your pool last summer. <laughs> You would do that? No, not when I was a kid. When you're older. I was, Dude, I would not even still do that no, now. are you kidding me? There's nothing worse than getting caught in somebody's pool when you're in the nude. Oh, uh, I mean, God, I just wouldn't want to do that to anybody. That poor <laughs> officer of the law that would have to come by. That poor like, old woman when she looks out her back window and sees just, Donnie, Donnie's full moon just jumping in the pool. That is just bad times. I lived at a house in my early 20s where we had a pool, and... I believe that the police absolutely knew us like first and last name. Hey guys, a little loud. Shut the hell up. Guys, come on. Well, you know, we're early 20s. There's a huge pool and we can buy endless amounts of beer. So What'd I don't you know expect? what you really want from us. All right, uh, gentlemen, uh, thank you very much for hanging out here. This thing has kind of gotten off the rails here Always in the last goes few off minutes. off the rails, which is why I love it. I apologize here uh, greatly, but for our dudes, Jeff Burton and uh, Jamie Rivers, uh, Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic, Alex Ferrario from 101 ES. My name is Donnie Fandango. Thank you for listening. As always, let's go Blues. The Last Minute Blues Podcast. Hear more at 1057thepoint.com.